0: We are going to finish up Romans eight, Lord Willing today. and I hope um, as we've gone as we're going through Romans, that you're seeing the big picture all together, but especially in Romans eight, how it just culminates in that wonderful comfort, kind of midway through everything. We've talked about our, the sinfulness of sin, the glory of salvation and justification, the the newness of life. The struggles we have as Christians living in this world for Christ the battles that we have with doubt and, you know, the world of flesh and the devil, and then that wonderful assurance, that respite that comes all in the the deep doctrine that we've been learning throughout all of this. That's just kind of the overview of where we're at today. So we're coming to the end of Romans chapter 8. Our Old Testament reading is uh, Psalm 44. So I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles to please turn with me to Psalm 44. We'll read verses 9 through 26 and then over to Romans 8, 35 through 39. So Psalm 44 and beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> I'm going to give you the context of this later because we're going to come back to 40, Psalm 44. But you've rejected us and disgraced us. This is the psalmist speaking to God. And have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoil. You've made us like sheep for the slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nation, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face and the sound of the taunter and the reviler at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we've not forgotten you, and we've not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in this place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of God, or spread out our hands to a foreign god, Would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And now over to Romans. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And praise God. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. And we thank you for your precious word, Lord God. And I pray that you would, by your Spirit, illuminate our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord God. Please, I pray, I pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word, your message, Lord God, that will be honoring and glorifying to you, helpful and edifying to us. Please help us to give our attention to you, Lord God, at this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and praise God. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must accept and know, like just accept and be willing to accept the very things that is spoken of here in Christ that, that he 's talking about what 's going to separate us is tribulation is uh, distress, persecution, nakedness are these things able to separate us from Christ? We are going to face these very things as we seek to serve Jesus Christ faithfully. We just need to know that as Christians living in this world, when we 're faithful to Jesus Christ, when you 're living your faith out you pretty much need to know and come to expect that these things are going to happen to us to one degree or another and be willing to remain faithful because he loves us. This isn't going to separate us from his love. Um, and specifically the suffering brought about that's spoken of here is because of your faithfulness as a Christian but the principle applies to other areas of suffering. Whenever we suffer as a Christian, know that his love doesn't depart from you. Right? It's not that he doesn't love you, so he's making you suffer, he's taking away his love from you and that's why you're suffering. No, 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 no. He loves us. But we need to expect it. First Peter tells us chapter 4, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. You know, when it comes, don't don't think, "Oh man, this is crazy. Why is this happening to me? This is so weird." No, this is kind of par for the course, I guess, as it were, for Christians that we can expect these things to come when they do. But rejoice in so far as you share in the suffer- in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, then you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And Philippians uh, one twenty-seven through twenty-nine. I'm going to actually turn there and read from. Uh, Philippians 1 if you want to turn with me and here's Paul speaking from prison <clears throat> and he writes this Philippians 1 as he's encouraging the Christians there to live for Jesus Christ here he is unrightly unjustly I guess put in prison And he's saying the Lord is blessing us here. And he goes on to encourage the saints. He says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come to see you or I'm absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So you see that. That's part of um, the ethos of, of being a Christian, is being willing to suffer for Christ. Second Timothy 3.12 reminds us, tells us, teaches us, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, that means to be faithful to Jesus Christ, will be persecuted. The Scriptures replete with those who have faced severe trials, endured much pain, suffered much loss as a direct consequence of their faithful obedience to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We know that from reading Scripture. We know that from history. But Paul's saying here in Romans, that doesn't mean when we face these trials, these difficulties, that God has removed his love, that somehow... You fell out of favor with God. That can't happen. That's not possible. For he has loved you if you are his from all eternity. We know this. Ephesians 1, beginning in chapter verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. That love cannot be taken away from you. There's great assurance here. It's demonstrated in the person and work of Christ, John 13 now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loves us from the beginning, he loves us to the end. First John three one tells us, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So don't think and don't believe for one second when tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness happen to you that he has removed his love for you. His commitment towards you has not waned at all. And that's what he's, again, there's that assurance of our salvation, assurance of his love. Take great comfort of this in this in Romans chapter eight. Um <clears throat> the thing is that we tend to oftentimes to only see one side of God's love. You know this means that God loves me and that's oftentimes when we're blessed. When things are going relatively well for us when we're healthy when things are stable when we're okay at our job when our life is pretty comfortable when we're freely practicing our faith without much resistance we say that we are blessed and we are and we do not ever want to take those blessings for granted and we live in a land and we've lived in a time where we have been blessed in this way haven't we 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 truly have there's been very little restrictions on what we can do Overall, and as you think about the context of what it means to suffer for Christ and what so many of our brothers and sisters have gone and are going through in their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So so we do have it, I don't know what I want to say, like relatively easy in that way. And I think that's a blessing from the Lord. So I don't want to disparage that and say, oh, we're just... But you do need to understand and you need to know that there's a downside to this, to that, having it this way. That comfort, the comfort that we have can and does lead, unless you're very, very cognizant and careful and seeing things from from the Lord's perspective at all times, it leads to complacency. It just does. We become distracted We feel, as scripture says, at ease in Zion, right? Amos 6.1 tells us, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men and the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. He's speaking especially to the leaders, but there is a sense when everything's going well, relatively speaking, you know, there's, there's not much persecution coming our way that we do. Become relaxed. We do. We we do take things for for granted in in our faith. For 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 those of us here, all of us can say, you know, it's always been this way for us. We've never really experienced real deep persecution. The stuff that Paul's talking about here, have we? You know, it's it's. We go to church. We do our studies. We have our fellowship time. We go to work. We enjoy sports. We enjoy the world. We have it. You know, we just do. But they're there's a tendency when it's like that that we become more superficial. We become less cognizant of our reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We become less serious about the faith. The faith becomes just like an add-on to our lives. You know, we have God over here, but we have everything else over here as well, but we still love the Lord, right? There's a struggle with that. There's blessing in that, right? Because we're not being persecuted, but it's also a struggle because we become less dependent on the Lord in those times. Now, as this continues on in time, as this complacency sets in, you find yourself, you wake up and you find yourself kind of where we are today as a church. Pretty weak, pretty ineffective, pretty overtaken by the world. That's where we are. So, so while on the one hand, we never want to take those blessings for, for granted and we're thankful to the Lord for them, on the other hand, we need to be very careful because that comfort can and does lead to distractions and we become complacent in our faith and we're not as driven to the Lord as we ought to be. So the things that he's talking about here, the things that I'm talking to you about this morning in Romans 8, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword. Those kinds of things don't quite register with us, do they? Do they register with you, really, in your mind? You know, Does, does that resonate with you in your life as, as you're going out? Do you think about these things? Let's face it. Let's face it. This hasn't been part of our experience as Christians, as followers of Christ. Think about it. I'm just going to take these in the categories. Tribulation, distress, and persecution. Let's just put those together. When he's talking about here, when he talks about tribulation, that is severe, severe pressure on you, severe pressure that's applied to you as a Christian because you're following Christ to get you to comply to the world, to get you to conform to the world, to set aside your faith, to compromise your faith in what you believe, and to capitulate to the world around us. That's, that's, that's that severe pressure. That's a tribulation that comes upon you. Now, the closest thing we have right now, kind of in our world, is bending the knee to BLM. And there's pressure to do that. And, and if you don't do that, then there's going to be consequences. Or affirming in the LGBTQ. And these are serious threats. And there's no doubt that real persecution can stem from these if we do not comply and compromise and so forth. But for our sake and our context and our ethos, that's about as far as it, as it gets right now but but the idea of this of, of of real um tribulation is kind of foreign to us same with same with when he talks about distress that the idea there is just a narrowness of way and it's a suddenness that something comes upon you very suddenly so <sighs> And it's more like a psychological kind of warfare too. You know, like all of a sudden, here comes that pressure. Right now, today, you need to make the decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to say yes or are you going to say no? If you say no, then you're out of here. So, so you don't have time to think. You don't have time to process. You don't have time to, to fairly defend yourself. You know, I can't even speak. Well, here's where I'm coming from. No, 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 no. That's distress where you are pressed, where you are pushed. It means to narrow, to restrict. Very quickly, you have to make that decision. It's now or never. It's now or, or else so there's that distress that comes upon you and moves in very quickly and things change very suddenly. That's a scary thing because we like stable. We like to be able to make our decisions. We like to think it through. We like the opportunity to form our, our defense. And then he goes on and talks about persecution. That's living. Again, this is physical. And they all overlap to a degree i'm separating them a little bit here just making the distinctions but that's physical emotional psychological spiritual this is the real threat of living under the real threat of loss and that's what persecution is The loss because you're living for christ see again we're not and to, we're not accustomed to this but it's living with that threat of loss because of your job now think about that. If you lose your job, there goes your income, there go your benefits. What are you supposed to do? So there's real pressure to, to conform, to comply in order to keep something. So we're, we're tempted in that way. As we're serving Christ, we're going to be tempted in that way. Property Confiscated or destroyed, how would you like it? Can you imagine somebody coming for your house or somebody destroying your property we don 't even live in that realm right now, but see Christians around the world do as they 're serving Christ faithfully, having your possessions taken away, having your freedoms severely restricted, being treated unjustly in the courts where other people get a fair trial, but you don 't because of what you believe. So you need to be quiet because you 're that is hate speech. So whatever you believe, that we're going to label it that way. and So there's going to be consequences for that. So you can't even believe what the truth actually is without paying for that. Now, we're, it seems that we're moving in that direction. But, you know, it's still hard for us to kind of relate because we have our lives. And, you know, we're, we're good. After this, we're going to go to the stores or whenever we're going to hang out at home. Things are going to be all right in that way. But we can't forget this because that persecution not only is lost, but it's also physical. Physical intimidation. How many of you have been really physically intimidated because of your faith? Maybe somebody's gotten to your face once in a while, but you don't know what that kind of intimidation those threats look like, or incarceration because of what you believe and standing firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not facing this. Being beaten because of your faith, being tortured and being killed, that does not register with us right now, does it? How about famine and nakedness? Famine and nakedness, very few knows what it means to be truly hungry. You may have grown up poor and you might have missed some meals and yeah, you've probably been hungry, but we don't know what it means to be starving and not have food because of our faith. Not, not because there's not enough, not just because a famine comes in the land, but because you're a Christian and we're not going to sell this to you. Okay. You're not going to get the rice. You're not going to get, you're not going to get the sustenance that you need. We don't know that. We get upset. If the shelves aren't full when we go to the store, right? Now we're in a place. Man, they used to always have that there. They don't even have it. And so we get up mad. You know, we're, 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 if our favorite item is in, is in stock, we get upset. We, barbecue sauce. It's not enough just to have regular sauce, but they don't have my honey barbecue sauce. What kind of world are we living in today? I, I say this facetiously, but it's true, isn't it? That's what what we're, we don't know what it means. And I don't mean this to, to throw guilt trips on us. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, as this comes upon us, we need to know that his love is not going to leave us. We're under his blessing still. Nakedness, that's extreme poverty. That weight, if you've ever been poor, you know what that weight feels like when you're in extreme poverty. But even more than that, the idea behind this nakedness is stripping you of all dignity. And that's what the enemies of God want to do. They'll still strip you of all dignity. Utter humiliation. Shameful. Make you be ashamed and feel ashamed because you're a Christian. And it gets to the point where they treat Christians in different parts of this world with great um, injustice, indignity, shameful ways. It's etched in my mind when I was about 12 or 13, we watched the Holocaust. I mean, some of you remember that. was on, like, Channel 11. It was on a major network. But you could just see the indignity and the shame that was brought upon the people, the Jews standing in line naked, men, women, and children, waiting to go into those showers where they were going to kill them. That's That's the idea of this nakedness, extreme, stripping you of all dignity, utter humiliation. We don't see this. But, you see, at times and in certain seasons that these very things are realities for the followers of Jesus Christ. Does this mean, when Paul's saying, who will separate us? Can the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, separate us from the love of Christ? No. It doesn't mean that. It does mean, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that he loves you less. It doesn't mean that he takes away your love his love for you at those times when we're suffering in those ways for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you might be asking yourself the question, am I willing to do this? Am I willing to suffer for Christ? Well, that's something you're going to have to work out between you and the Lord and wrestle with because you see the downside of this, the downside of having those blessings, the kind of time we've been living in is we become complacent. The downside of this is at times you're living your faith out faithfully And you're experiencing these things to various degrees. That's hard. I'm not trying to sugarcoat this in any way. The pain is very real. And you've experienced maybe in different ways, situations that you've been in in the past where it's just been a very hard place and you know how real the pain is. You know how devastating the loss is. You know how hard and how harsh it could be. You know what it means to feel helpless and nearly lose hope. So we don't want to minimize the pain. And we would never wish, I mean, sometimes you're young, oh, we need persecution. I've heard people say that. We need persecution to turn us to the Lord. I guess in substance that's true, but you don't want to wish for that. And if, if you've seen or or know what it's like or, or talk to people that have been through it in that way, you never wish for persecution to come or deep trials to befall you. But know this, and here's the point, when they do come, if and when they do come, they cannot separate you from His love. That's the important thing. And further the fact is this and it's born out in scripture and born out in history at those times when we face these kinds of trials these deep persecutions these deep situations of of pain and anguish it's at those times where we lean in and rest on Jesus Christ that you will as C.S. Lewis said be surprised by suffering and that's what I want you to see today as it brings you to those sufferings they counterintuitively, paradoxically, whatever you want to say, they bring you to a place of deeper depths of fellowship and intimacy with the Lord that you cannot know apart from that. Do you understand that? We have a level of intimacy with the Lord, but it's when you have nothing or when you are being suppressed or oppressed or in tribulation, you have a fellowship that you will not know otherwise because you are driven to Him. That's the witness of Scripture. That's the truth, of the, the testimony of countless Christians through the centuries, and the deepest, darkest times of trial, when the pain is real, is when you experience the inexplicable peace that comes from God alone. Do you understand that? It's those trials that drive us to Him, away from ourselves, and to Him. At the same time, we're praying for alleviation, or you know, take this away. But it still, nevertheless, brings us closer to Him. Philippians four seven tells us this. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's the New Living Translation. Don't flip out on me. <laughs> it's a good translation of that for bringing the truth of that verse out. It transcends understanding that kind of peace. It's a peace that guards you, a peace that protects you, a peace that confirms your troubled soul in those difficult times. You can't explain it. I should be panicking, but I'm okay. I should be, you know, worrying in this way, but, but it's all right because the Lord has me. This is a situation that may cost me dearly, cost my life. And yet I have a peace that abides in me. You can only know that kind of peace in these kinds of situations. Understand? You're scared, but you're not afraid. Worried, but not overwhelmed. Beaten down, but not defeated. If it sounds familiar, you could turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because there's the same idea here. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 11. Paul's talking about... The apostles and having, we're just jars of clay. We're, God has given us everything we need. But listen, he says this, beginning of verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about what we do. It's about what he does in us and through us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. See, that's the spirit of Romans 13 in those tribulations. You're going to be afflicted, but you're not crushed. Perplexed you know, wondering what's going on, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal, mortal flesh. Do you see that? See the understanding? Listen, nothing can happen Nothing that anybody can do to you as a Christian, any situation that comes about that will make you renounce Jesus Christ if you're truly in him. It can't do it because he loves you and he's going to comfort you and he's going to come alongside you. So don't think that. Like if you're truly in Christ and believing in him and the difficult times come and the tribulations come, don't. Believe that you will renounce him. His love will not let you. It can't because he loves you. And the things that are meant, see, these things are meant to separate you from Christ. These things are meant to renounce you from Christ when tribulation comes, when persecution comes. That's a sign. Hey, you deny your sin. Say no to him. What good is he? Look what you're doing now. Who's over who? That—that's—that. Those are the very things that make you want to say, okay, I'm done with him. No, they can't do that. And they don't do that if you're truly in him. And that's what he's saying here. That can't separate you from the love of Jesus Christ if you love him because he loves you. In fact, it's those very things that make you stronger as it makes you more reliant on Christ because now where are you going to go? See, in times that we're living in now, we can be distracted from Christ. But when it's on the line and there's persecution and there's tribulation, where are you going to go? Who are you going to run to? Lord, to whom shall we go? You are going to be more reliant on him. You're going to be more dependent on him and not yourself. You know this. You know people. If you've known anybody, have read stories, have listened to somebody who's been through persecution, I mean severe persecution, what do you notice about them? They're mature in Christ, aren't they? There's a maturity about them. There's a confidence, not in themselves, but in the Lord. They're settled in their faith. And there's a depth to them, a seriousness to them, and people take notice of that. Wow, that guy's deep. No, oh, he's just been refined. He's been. He's been he, he Jesus' love is more apparent at these times because we're more dependent on him at those times. So that's why he says that none of this could separate you from from the love of Christ. Don't think that that's, don't think that I'm taking my love away from you because you're in those situations. His love is more apparent because we're more dependent and we're more focused on Him in those times of distress. Now that idea is captured very beautifully in Valley of Vision. I just want to read uh, for you the the introduction to it. Listen to everything I've been saying to this point is really captured here. He says this. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but I see the heights. Hemmed in by the mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess all. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive. That the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, the stars can be seen from the deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter the star shines. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. probably took it from this verse. I wouldn't be surprised at that. See, in our day-to-day lives, we still rely on ourselves to a great degree. But at these times, a persecution, when the difficulties come, as much as we don't want to have to face them, they are the very times that we see how insufficient we are and we run to him. That's why nothing can separate us from his love. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't get discouraged. We do. It doesn't mean that we're not confused. We will be, as Paul said. It doesn't mean that you, that you can't humbly question God. Look at the psalmist in Psalm 13. Lord, how long are you going to forget me? Is it going to be forever? How long are you going to let my enemies reign over me? What, what's going on? Where are you, Lord? That's what the psalmist is crying out in Psalm 13. Will you forget us forever? Are you going to let me? My enemies come over and destroy me? So there's that, that humble questioning before the Lord. But, and here's an important factor, especially in terms of your relationship to the Lord, that never crosses the line to resentment of God. We could be perplexed, we could be confused, we could be questioning, but it never crosses the line to resentment. It never crosses the line to bitterness. It never crosses the line to rejection of God. It never crosses the line to where you lose hope and try, oh, I've given up on God now. I'm, done. Hey, I'm just too much pain, it's just too much. No, 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 no. When you go down that road, that's a sign of a deeper issue. That's a sign of something on a basic level with your relationship to the Lord that needs to be examined. Because no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how hard it gets, and even the more difficult it gets, even the harder it gets, our faith is deepened and strengthened in the Lord. And we rejoice in the Lord. So if you find yourself resenting the Lord and resenting God, well, then you better examine your own faith in that regard. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is a key to understanding the entire passage here that we're talking about. He's going back to ver, to Psalm 44. So I do want you to go back to 44 with me. Because it's very helpful in the context uh to to this context of what Paul's speaking of Psalm, back to Psalm 44. <clears throat> and He says, let me give you the context now. God's people are in distress. They're, they're, they're kind of being, they're being overwhelmed by their enemies. Even though they've been faithful to God. That's very important to understand. It's not that they've been sinning against God. Now God sends somebody to straighten them out or, you know, to turn them back to Him. They've been faithful. So how do you feel? You're being faithful to the Lord. You're, Living your life for Christ, there's no outstanding deep sin. You know you're, you're confessing your sins. You're preaching the gospel. You're you're going along. They've been faithful to him. Look at verses 17 through 19. He said, "All this has come upon us, though we've not forgotten you. We haven't forgotten you, God. We have not been false to your covenant. Our heart hasn't turned back. Our steps haven't departed from your way. Yet you've broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death." So it seems that their obedience to God is being answered by defeat and suffering. Now, how unfair does that seem? Look, I'm serving you, Lord. I love you. Why is this coming upon me? We're seeking to be faithful to you. It doesn't, what, what, what's going on here? Verses 20 and 22, he says, If we've forgotten the name of the Lord or spread our hands to a foreign God, you know, if we're out there serving other gods, we would understand this. God, would you not discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. And then verse twenty-two, this is quoted in our in our passage. Yet for your sake we are killed all day long, as, as all day long we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now look, Paul takes this, and we find the fulfillment is. It's so important. This is so key when he says, "For your sake, for your sake." That means that the suffering that we endure, the persecution. The distress, the famine, the nakedness is not as a punishment but as a price for loyalty to your Savior. That's what you need to get, and that's what he's saying here. It's not because you've done something wrong. He's not going to remove his love. It's the price of loyalty to our God. We're still in distress. We're still praying, but we understand that we're serving our Lord, and as we serve our Lord, these are the kinds of things that are going to come upon us. Ultimately, this points to Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who was led as a lamb to slaughter. He's the one who suffered for us beyond measure. Do you understand that? He suffered for us beyond measure. He suffered at the hands of wicked men, unjustly, who deserved to be praised and yet was punished for us. He suffered under the wrath of the Father for our sins. So ultimately, that verse, that is pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the one who is hated by the world. you understand that? If you're ultimately, as you reject Christ, you could talk, people say, oh, I like Jesus. Jesus is just all right with me. But when you get to the truth of the gospel, it's a denial, it's a rejection of who Jesus Christ is. They're in enmity with him. They hate him, right? the one who's hated by the world. And now, because you are, are with him, because you're with Christ, and the world is against you. And that's what's going on here. And that's what we need to understand. And often there's a price to pay for being with Christ. And what this is saying and what this is teaching, even in the distress, even in the hard, hardship, it says we would rather suffer at the hands of those who hate him than to reject him and be accepted by the world itself understand? It's about loyalty to Jesus Christ. He loves us, and his love will never fail us as we are faithful to him, no matter what we are experiencing, no matter what trials we need to endure, no matter what difficulties we're we're going through because of him, no matter how much we suffer because of him. And that gives us great assurance, and that gives us great hope in him, doesn't it? Doesn't it? That's why he says, In verse 37, you're more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. You're more than conquerors through him who loves us and continues to love us. As you remain faithful in those various trials and deep tribulations, far from feeling abandoned by God or unloved by God, you are drawn to a deeper richer, more intimate fellowship with the God who loves you, with the God who saves you, and with the God who keeps you. Do you understand that? That's the big deal that's going on here. This trial, tribulation, even though right now we can't really relate to it in this way, this is the bottom line truth, that we're willing to suffer for Christ. It's not that you've done anything wrong. It's because you've done everything right in the sight of God but that's going to turn the world against you. Understand? That's what he's saying here. But don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, because his love, that's not going to separate you. It's going to strengthen that love. Take this with you. Take what I'm saying to you, saying to you today. Take it with you every single day and every single moment. Because there are some indications, there are many indications actually, that we may face. No, we haven't known to this point, and I'm not trying to be prophetic or anything like that, things could change. And we all pray for revival, absolutely. But if things continue on the path that they're going right now, and you know this if you're a Christian, you could look back 20, 40, 50 years ago, it's a lot different, especially in the last 15, 10, years. Indications that we may face real tribulation. And then you're going to know what tribulation looks like. You're going to experience that deep pressure to conform, to comply, to compromise, to capitulate your faith. And you're going to say no, so be ready for the consequences of that. You're going to know what distress looks like. You tell me now, right now. You don't have a minute. You tell me now what you're going to do, yes or no, or you're out of here. Or we're taking this away from you. See, we're we not too far away from that, it seems. You're going to know distress. You may very well know persecution. To be placed in prison because you're not abiding by what the world's standard is and you refuse to do so? See, this is where this this is why you need to keep this in your heart. It's for his sake. It's our loyalty to Christ. We need to be ready, and again, we pray that this doesn't come to come to this, but just almost to be ready to forget about life as we have known it, at least for a season and for a time. And I think passages like this prepare us for that and, and ensure us and give us assurance that, look, life as you know, it has ended. And we're used to the way things are, and we're going to do the things okay. But it might not always be that way, and that change might be coming soon. So we'll know what famine is. We'll know what nakedness looks like. We know what it'll mean to live for Christ, and that our faith will cost us. Take hope in this passage, because that will not separate you from the love of Christ. In fact, it will strengthen and deepen that love, because you'll know the sufferings of Christ and what it means to truly trust.